2: Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Geek Town Behind the Scenes podcast. I'm your host Dave Elliott and on this episode I'm chatting with the cinematographer and camera operator Bertie Gregory. When I spoke to Bertie for the interview he was a BAFTA nominee for his work on the BBC series Seven Worlds One Planet. However as of yesterday he is now a BAFTA winner for his incredible work on the Nature Series along with his team. So huge congratulations to them. At only 26, Bertie has made a name for himself as one of the youngest and most sought-after wildlife filmmakers in the business. Along with Seven Worlds, he's contributed his talent to a variety of wildlife projects, including producing and hosting for the National Geographic online series Wildlife Resurrection Island and Wildlife The Big Freeze, which you can find on YouTube. In the interview, Bertie discusses his route into wildlife photography at such a young age, along with his unique behind-the-camera perspective on shooting wildlife – we chat about filming Spectacle Bears in South America, walking with big cats, and also using his vocal talents to attract a rather interesting audience. If you'd like to hear more behind-the-scenes interviews, don't forget to subscribe to wherever you get your podcast by searching for Geek Town Radio. This will also give you our weekly Geek Town Radio podcast, which gives you all the latest TV, filming, and gaming news. You can also go to our website at geektown.co.uk for the latest news stories and all the latest UK and US TV premiere dates. Here's the interview with Bertie, and I begin by checking in on how somebody who spends most of his time in the
1: wilderness is coping with lockdown. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer.
0: hi Dave how's it going
2: I'm good how are you pretty good thanks good, good to chat yeah yeah whereabouts are you I live in Bristol oh okay cool for somebody like you that spends their entire life
0: flying around to various different places this must have been a nightmare getting locked down it's all relative right I could be yeah. uh, could be a lot worse but mm. um yeah no it has been challenging I mean work-wise basically the whole wildlife film industry has all the overseas filming has just had a big pause button hit on it yeah and so that's a bit scary and then sort of on a mental well-being level yeah i haven't spent this much time in one place or in the uk since i went professional which was so yeah when i was at university which was more than six years ago Jeez. so um yeah. yeah no it's been it's been interesting although you know i'm a positive person and i like trying to find silver linings even in difficult times and i've got to re-know a lot of british wildlife that i grew up with yeah uh, and slightly embarrassingly i don't really film british wildlife professionally <laughs> Like I've, i have been, i haven't I, that is not out of choice i just haven't been given that work yeah um and so it's been nice in a way to sort of yeah reconnect with that and remember why i got interested in wildlife in the first place so small little silver lining generally though yeah it's not been great <laughs> yeah yeah out in the garden filming like local squirrels and stuff <laughs> well i mean the british wildlife it, you know we do have some really cool stuff yeah it's just i guess not quite as well known as, as some other places like i'm just about to try and film blue sharks off the coast of wales oh wow which would be really cool yeah really charismatic species of shark which we have in britain how cool is that yeah that's awesome
2: yeah you forget that there are things like like sharks around the edge of britain you don't really think about it very much yeah Yeah. that's very cool the show that you've been working on most recently the seven worlds one planet one full disclosure i've only seen a couple of episodes of it i was going to watch some more today and then my 81 year old father had an ipad
0: crisis so (laughs) (laughs) i think that's a pretty reasonable excuse but i watched the antarctica and the north america episodes last night well, well that's good ones to watch yeah yeah they're good fun. Uh, I don't know if you remember the making of in the North America episode. Yes. Where quite embarrassingly I sang Adele on BBC one. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Fortunately, they actually cut out the bit where I was actually singing for real. Um, That would have been the end of my career quite you're, quickly. You're missing out the important point of that. You
2: sung Adele to whales. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it, what was said in that making of is, is completely right. It's completely true. They are a really vocal animal and they're really curious. And if you sing, they come closer to you. Yeah. Um, which when I was told, I thought someone was just having me on and they just wanted me to look silly, uh, <laughs> which is fine. But no, it genuinely works. You stop singing, they swim off. You start singing, they come over. So yeah, that was critical to getting shots. What? um, Yeah, so it was it was Adele and uh, Jurassic Park worked really well. (laughs) Awesome. Uh, The national anthem and Star Wars, they were less keen on. Uh,
2: uh, Well, you know, I was going to say clearly they have good taste, but you know, you can't knock John Williams. I mean, yeah. Uh, so before we get into the details of of those episodes start off with a little bit of background i mean you're you're what 26 years old how did you end up getting into the industry at such a young age and filming on shows with david attenborough i
0: mean yeah uh, so i've always been obsessed with wildlife my family are really into water sports so i from a really early age was always thrown into the sea um <laughs> uh, mainly around on the cornish coast uh and always like, encouraged to surf and things like that and I think when you spend that amount of time outside you sort of gain an appreciation of nature sort of passively like by osmosis yeah. um, so I was always I guess exposed to wildlife when I was in my early teens I grew up near Reading, and I started to really get into the wildlife that was near to me so there was some farmers fields down the road from the town that I was in and I sort of got into sneaking up on roe deer and kingfishers and <laughs> animals I like had badgers and I just got completely obsessed with it. And everyone thought I was a complete weirdo, but I didn't really (laughs) mind because I was having a great time. And when I was about 13 or 14, I realized that if I took pictures of what I saw, I started nicking my dad's camera. He had like a little compact camera. I started to realize that not only was this—if I took pictures of what I was seeing—it was a great way of like channeling my obsession, yeah. but it was also a good way of explaining where I'd been and, right. and showing people that thought I was a weirdo like what I'd been up to. And I got a real buzz out of getting other people excited about what I was excited about. So I think that's how it how it started. And I started entering sort of young wildlife photography competitions and won a few of those. And through a long series of events that I won't bore you with, because of one of those competition wins, got to meet a national geographic photographer called steve winter he's like their big cat specialist so right any National Geographic story that, that you might have seen that had snow leopards or tigers or mountain lions in, he's the guy. And he was looking for a new assistant and I was in the right place at the right time. Yeah. I said the right thing. I'd had the right experience what he wanted. I was super keen. He offered me a job basically. So I went to Bristol University. I studied zoology and it was in my last year that I met Steve and he basically said, as soon as you finish you're hired. <laughs> so I, I had to leave my graduation early early to go home to pack to then start working for him and the first yeah I spent two years working for him two and a half years we went all over the place filming uh, leopards and jaguars so that was a, it was a crazy sort of willy wonka golden ticket moment wow. um and that that was sort of my route into the, the industry that's amazing
2: working on seven worlds one planet your cameraman and you're a cinematographer for it I, I mean on most shows when I talk to cinematographers there's like you know, I do a lot of narrative stuffs and dramas and things. And there's like two cinematographers. There's 51 cinematographers listed on this show. So, I mean, I'm assuming that's basically all the camera people, because I, I guess on a situation like that, the people behind the camera kind of double up as the cinematographers in most cases as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's the same same person basically. So the reason there's so many is because the shooting ratio that we have is mm. is huge. So generally, we spend about four to six weeks in the field for every three. three. Three to four minutes of television. Wow. So if you've got a two year filming window and you've got seven episodes, each is an hour long, each has 10 to 12 sequences in it, that's, you know... 10 to 12 times six weeks times seven episodes in two and a half years. A lot of shoots are going on at the same time. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, typically there'll be one or two cinematographers per shoot. And, yeah, that's sort of how it's broken down. And then we'll have a director, someone from production, because all the cinematographers are freelance, so the the directors are staff. And, yeah, we'll go off and and try and uh, get the goods. Well, yeah, I mean, in terms of doing that, what sort of plan do you have to go
2: into a shoot because you know obviously with drama or comedy or something like that there is a very obvious script to it and when you're dealing with wildlife they kind of have obviously a mind of their own of what they're going to do so what are you given in terms of direction of of what you need to get are there things that you are just hoping for or you know you've got situations like the sort of penguins on st andrew you know you're going you're going somewhere like that and you've got the walruses and that sort of stuff obviously you know that the behavior of of the walruses and they might be fights so is that something that you pre-planned of right okay we're going to get that particular thing or do you just sort of turn up and see what you
0: can find well so it varies a lot so on the one end yeah you know generally we'll have an idea of the the species and the particular story that we're trying to tell but then sometimes you know certain animals are so difficult to film and so rarely seen that literally the goal is just to film them and see what happens yeah so in the South America episode of seven worlds which was um the episode that I worked on most we were trying to film spectacle bears which is uh it's like a smaller version of a North American black bear right and they've got these big white spectacles it's what Paddington bear was was basically Paddington bear from Peru <laughs> right he was yeah, yeah. he was a spectacle bear another name for them is the Andean bear because they live in the Andes yeah and they are so rarely filmed I mean most spectacle bear biologists have a handful of encounters per year or in their entire lives like like you just, you know, this they, they, most of them spend their time going around collecting poo or using camera traps. <laughs> to actually see them in real life is is incredibly difficult. And thanks to the amazing research team on Seven Worlds, in particular Sarah Wally, who was the assistant producer on the the South America episode, she discovered a location in Ecuador where there was this place where about every eighteen months there was a, a tree that produces like a mini avocado and about every 18 months it sort of randomly fruits and it's very unpredictable it can be after well I say 18 months it can be you know two year gap it can be a one year gap between these fruitings and when those fruitings happen it brings spectacle bears in from a huge area to this one spot to concentrate and it's actually possible to see them reliably so we basically sarah got had found out about this location and then got the call that the trees were fruiting and that it was all happening so literally within the space of about a week having first heard about it i was on a plane to ecuador (laughs) it was just before christmas we got there and it was unbelievable i mean i saw 10 bears in one day which (laughs) if you bear in mind how often you normally see them was was mind-boggling yeah um and in that case the shoot started off as literally if you get a spectacle bear in the frame that's amazing um but because we were filming them so much we started to get to know them and we could film their behavior so we started to realize that they're really smart so they'll they'll eat all these little mini avocados that are near to the trunk of the tree so they climb these big 30 meter trees to eat these fruits Mm. and they'll eat them and once they've eaten one's All the ones that are easy to reach, they'll start to sort of crawl out on branches that get thinner and thinner. And when it gets to a spot where the branch is going to break, instead of walking out on that branch, they take a couple steps back, they then bite that branch, but not all the way through. So they snap it so it sort of hangs down. And then they pick the whole branch up, the end of the branch in their teeth, bring it back to the safety of the the thicker branches near the trunk, and then they start eating it. So they're really aware of like, you know, the physics of where branches break and and how best to exploit that that food resource so yeah we went out there going right we're just going to try and film you know get the bear in frame and then we started to learn about their social behavior and how they eat and it was it was fascinating yeah
2: that sounds amazing and you have another similar sort of thing with the canadian polar bears and the beluga whales as well in terms of their behavior i get the impression you were kind of told that they'd been seen doing this beforehand
0: but you managed yeah. to get to kind of go and be involved with that and do you want to just talk a little bit about that? Yeah so so it was this mad behavior where these polar bears there was a few males big male bears that basically had learned that if they swim out at low tide to some big rocks and they basically just fall asleep on those big rocks, particular rocks in this bay, they then wait for the tide to rise up around the rocks that they're sat on. As the tide rises, it brings beluga whales into the shallows near to these rocks. And then they wait on those rocks so that when a beluga whale is close enough to the rock, when it's swimming, the bear jumps off the rock and onto that whale. Mm. Um, And and just like the, the the foresight and planning and, and just the athletic ability to be able to pull that off was nuts. And, and yeah, there was several accounts of guides having seen that. And it had been filmed once before, but very distantly and with a, a beluga calf, so a small baby. So we sort of went out there with all the toys. We are filming on a drone with a big gyro-stabilized camera so that we could film from a moving boat, but with a stable shot. Yeah. And um and, and yeah, we, we got a big male bear jumping on an adult beluga whale. So yeah, yeah. Um, Unbelievable, um, bit of animal behavior. I guess the thing that most blew me away was the, like, the foresight involved in, in yeah. pulling that off. You know, literally hours ahead of time, it was laying a trap. Um, mm. It was great to see. And I mean, whilst it was great to see, on the other hand, it's also, you're, you're watching a whale die, which, you know, these whales, we'd got to know, I'd been swimming with them to film them underwater. So there was also that emotional element of it as well, which made it all the more powerful.
2: I was going to say, I mean, that must be quite difficult to watch in some ways. I mean, it is nature and it can be quite brutal at times. But as you say, you were there singing Goodell to them as well. So, you know, it's got to be quite difficult to watch. And I mean, in a situation like that, obviously there's no way you can get, even if you wanted to, you couldn't get in between it. You wouldn't
0: want to. (laughs) Yeah,
2: exactly. And have there been situations where you've been filming stuff where you sort of could have done something, but you can't because of the fact that that's not what you're there for. You're there to film What happens?
0: Yeah, exactly. We're there to film natural behavior. And I think often it's usually with particularly cute animals that people have a problem with that. And my sort of argument against that is well, nature is a lot more complex than that. Yeah. And if you want to base it solely on cuteness, generally the babies of predators are incredibly cute. So if you get in the way of a predation, you might be saving the the prey that time but but what about the predators babies so if you, if, you yeah. know if you want to use the cuteness logic then that argument falls down yeah. and yeah as I said we're, we're there to film natural behavior and to be honest it sounds quite brutal but when the action is happening I'm actually I guess to an extent quite emotionally disconnected because there's a lot to think about camera wise whether that's flying a drone or operating a gyro-stabilized camera you know you're, you're really focused and so I don't really think about the emotions of it until mm. afterwards when you look back at what you've seen.
2: Yeah, when you are filming stuff, there must be times when you get something in shot. Whether it's, I mean, there's there's a wonderful shot of a uh, one of the penguins. It must be their Tartar episode, and he's got like a mohawk down the back. <laughs> and you look at something like that and think, well, that's going to make it in because
0: <laughs> yeah, or, or it's like uh, another the cameraman rolf Steinman shot the King Penguin sequence, and there was a chick that found like a, a penguin chick that found a big white fluff ball. Yes, um, and it's playing with it and it's just such a wonderful moment of magic that you're like, yeah, that's uh that's TV gold.
2: Yeah. I mean, have you got a kind of narrative going in your head? Because they're very good with this sort of show of crafting a narrative of this animal is or what these animals are doing are you just getting as much interesting shots as you can and then leaving it up to them to sort of craft the narrative afterwards or, or are you trying to follow something through when you're filming it
0: in the field it's, it's sort of a bit of teamwork between the director and the camera person hmm. and you'll sort of work together and and yeah often you sort of start building up the building blocks of the sequence in your head and so you think okay right i got that shot of the animal you know leaving frame in that particular direction so okay so i've at some point i need to get a shot of of the same animal doing a a particular thing and you you sort of start to piece the jigsaw together and then the the director's doing that as well and you work together to figure that out and then um, back in uh in bristol where it's edited the producer then sort of starts to put that together and then the editor is a really pivotal role in the whole thing they can um really take the footage and and, you know sort of bring it to life um, narratively so yeah it's it's a big teamwork effort from from start to finish and then of course there's you know the music on top and and it all sort of adds to it
2: well yeah I mean the the music which I hadn't realized until I looked it up but it's Hans Zimmer and uh, Jacob Shearer that do the music and I I mean uh, Hans Zimmer is a sort of legend so but it is incredible I was very because I interview quite a lot of composers doing these things and Hans Zimmer's work is phenomenal and particularly
0: stands out I think in this it's the tingly music Music, the yeah. stuff that makes the hairs on the back of your neck stand up yeah, yeah. It, is, it is funny when um it, it really does take it to another level when we've come back from a shoot and we sort of want to show the rest of the team what we filmed often we'll just find a hands in the track slap <laughs> it on the footage and go look and it makes it twice as good <laughs>
2: yeah yeah definitely a good way of doing it in terms of some of the other stuff there was there was the whale feeding in antarctica as well which was was incredible where they sort of all come together in one group. Were you there for that stuff?
0: Yes. Yeah, so, so what's interesting about that is that that has sort of been a holy grail of wildlife film for a while a, is filming a, a big whale aggregation in Antarctica. And they tried it on the original frozen planet and didn't manage to get it. And then this new data emerged, which showed evidence that there was these aggregations happening in particular island off of the Antarctic Peninsula. And uh, myself and director Abby Lee's, we spent two months on a German research ship called the Polish stern with the, the Alfred Wegener Institute, which is like the German equivalent of the British Antarctic Survey. That's what we have in the UK. Right. And we basically spent two months on the boat with 30 German scientists, which was an absolute hoot. They're great <laughs> fun. Um <laughs> and there the boat was doing krill transects so they're basically driving up and down measuring the abundance of krill it's like a small little prawn that is in just billions of them in in antarctica and the whales eat the krill and so my job was to work with the whale research team who uh, we had a helicopter on the ship and basically if we found whales if we sort of bumped into whales by chance during these krill transects we'd we'd go out to, to try and film them. Now, ironically, the one day in the two months when it all came together, the helicopter had an oil leak and it it was rounded. So I actually filmed most of the sequence with a drone from the ship. It was quite a funny scene because there was the helicopter sat there with a half a million pound camera system hanging (laughs) off the side, which I never, you know, I couldn't use. And then I'm taking off my little drone, which next to the helicopter is dwarfed to then buzz out to film the, the whales. And yeah, it was extraordinary just to see that many fin whales could be 25 meters long plus to see that many of them i think there was 100 150 of them together see that many all together with uh you know penguins in there and albatross and seals it was just this unbelievable feeding frenzy and yeah very uh spectacular to to see there's not many you know i reckon one you know two or three times a year when when i'm out filming there's a, a moment when you go wow this is this is really special and, and that was definitely one of them
2: yeah it's an incredible incredible sequence that and uh i guess with drones i suppose in the grand scheme of things not be doing this
0: that long so i I, have drones always been around whilst (laughs) you've been working now well no they're they're very new and actually i think that's probably a key reason why i've been fortunate to be given quite a bit more responsibility than i think i otherwise would have done with my experience is because sort of one of my specialties is drone stuff yeah and um I guess I've, I've probably got one of the largest sort of ranges of experience of filming drones with wildlife because they've only been around since I've been in the industry which is quite lucky for me Yeah. Um, and actually at the start of Seven Worlds a new drone system came out that sort of finally did what we needed it to be able to do in terms of the length of flight time and the stabilization technology so we could use longer lenses right. on it rather than just sort of a, a classic wide angle which is fine for filming pretty pictures, but you know, pretty landscapes. But if you actually want to use them to follow animal behavior, mm-hmm. um, you, you need, yeah, long flight time. So you can be in the air for a long time and you need slightly longer lenses. So you don't, you don't need to be as close. So you're not influencing their, their behavior, which is obviously critical that we're not, not disturbing them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, they've been a complete game changer. They give you a brand new perspective on many things that we think we know. And yeah, you film it with a drone and suddenly reveals a whole nother world. Yeah.
2: The leaps and bounds of where drone technology has gone in recent years is incredible. And some of the shots you get now, which even, like you say, 10 years ago, just wouldn't be able to get, is just phenomenal across like everything yeah. at this
0: point. I mean, they've, they've, they've revolutionized the industry in that the only way of getting aerials before in a wildlife sequence was to use a helicopter, which in many instances is prohibitively expensive. And many animals you can't fly a helicopter near. Yeah. Um, whereas now, you know, we don't go on a shoot. Where we don't take a drone anymore. Yeah, yeah. I mean, makes perfect sense because I mean, a
2: helicopter's pretty loud <laughs> to, to get near an animal. So yeah, I mean,
0: it's 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 really interesting. It comes down to the species, and some animals don't like sort of the frequency that you know drone right. propellers make, uh, and they're uh, more tolerant of a more boomy noise of a helicopter. And a helicopter, you can put a much heavier camera on, much more you know a much yeah. longer lens, so you can be relatively you know way further away so it all comes down to the individual situation and um, this idea that drones have replaced helicopters is is rubbish um, right. they're, they're different tools for different things yeah okay so if you had to pick one
2: particular sequence that you've shot out of all the stuff that you've done
0: that really stands out to you which one would it be? well in the South America episode of Seven Worlds which has been really exciting because that's the one that's been nominated for a BAFTA yeah. a film with a guy called John shire we we were filming mountain lions and i think that was probably the standout sequence for me to work on on the series because we were walking on foot with this these mountain lions (laughs) and when else anywhere in the world can you walk on foot with a big cat and the animals chill with you and you're chill that you're not going to get eaten you know Um, it's you're not going to walk on foot with a lion in Africa and expect to film it hunting so yeah having that opportunity in it was in Torres del Paine National Park in Patagonia Chile and um that sort of backdrop incredible mountains with these mountain lions these pumas that we were walking alongside was was really special and John and I sort of had a a two-pronged attack where he was filming with a sort of the traditional method with a long lens on a tripod and then I was over the top on a drone. So every situation we had, we sort of had the two angles. So, you know, we're sort of live cutting on the action.
2: Yeah, it sounds really incredible. As I say, I've not seen all the episodes yet and I I will go and watch that one next because I think that sounds awesome, that episode. I could talk to you about like all this stuff all day because I just find it really fascinating. Last couple of questions for you and they're the same for everybody the first question is what TV shows are you watching at the moment I've just started to get into Afterlife the Ricky Gervais Netflix show oh yes that's they get the tissues ready it, it, it's, yeah. it's funny but heartbreaking
0: yeah show. heartbreaking and hilarious it's, yes. uh, some of the characters on that are just genius what else am I watching on Disney Plus there's a, a National Geographic show called The World According to Jeff Goldblum oh yes is, that's brilliant yeah uh, he's a bizarre dude who's very funny, and um, it, yeah, it sort of looks at things that you think you know and investigates them, like ice cream or trainers. That's been an interesting one to, to watch. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely watching a lot more television than I normally do because yeah, well, I'm yes. not really in a place where there is no TV. So um, yes, yeah, n- yeah good to sort of catch way. up on pop culture to an extent because usually, because I'm away for months on end often in a place where you don't get the news either yeah about three years after a, a huge tv show has been out or, or you know some pivotal world event someone will reference it and i'll be like what what's that they'll be like how did you not hear about that enormous earthquake or that tv program or that thing that happened so yeah i feel like i'm getting more clued up on what's going on in the world
2: yeah do you know what you're doing next are you managing to get back out there and and
0: film soon it's still sort of on hold figuring out making sure that we can get out and make sure we're safe and wherever we're going the people are safe which is obviously Yes of more, course I mean
2: more. although you are generally in the middle of nowhere but I get I guess the small group of you that together are really tightly packed together quite often
0: so Yeah well as you say generally we are in the middle of nowhere so that part is very safe but unfortunately you have got to go through a lot of people to get there Yeah, um, so that's that's our challenge but no uh, I it, it sounds like people are figuring it out and in the meantime I'm sorry sort of re really getting to know a lot of local British wildlife. So yeah. Um, yeah, plenty to do. Awesome. So last little question. If you had the
2: opportunity to work on any TV show, can be something from the past, something present or something future? And I guess this is a slightly different question for somebody like you that
0: deals with a specific type of photography, but which show would it be? I'm going to give you a really rubbish answer um, and <laughs> not really answer your question. Um, <laughs> I, I guess the thing is that I'm interested in primarily in the wildlife and yeah. the filming is secondary obviously I'm interested in the technology and the craft and the storytelling but really it's the wildlife so if I wasn't filming I'd, I'd still be watching the animals so yes. um, what TV show well it would be a wildlife one I work on yeah um, yeah so, yeah. so Sorry, is, that's a rubbish answer
2: is it is well okay let's switch it slightly is there an area that you haven't managed to get
0: to yet that you really want to go and film tons the list is too long to even begin <laughs> um, but um, uh, I've been lucky enough to film a few times in Antarctica now, and uh, itching to to go back because there's some really interesting, powerful stories to tell there, and just the feeling of being there is oh, it's addictive. Just the the scale of the place and the epicness of it, and and all the wildlife just like doesn't really you know they're, they're not scared of people, so everything's just yeah. like right in your face. Um, yeah, and that's a uh, that's a pretty unique experience for yeah. sure. Which which
2: is fine if it's a
0: Pendwing, not so good if it's a polar bear (laughs) (laughs) exactly yeah all
2: right well um thank you for coming on and chatting with me for a bit it's been a real pleasure i look forward to seeing some of your other stuff as well you've got a couple of national geographic shows as well
0: haven't you yeah so i host a a national geographic online series called wildlife and the last season was called the big freeze it was all about the canadian arctic you mentioned polar bears and getting up close to them yeah well we got we got very close to polar bears (laughs) sometimes a little too close which was entertaining um so yeah that's all on YouTube if you just search uh, the big freeze you can find it but in terms of what's next I'm working on some new projects but unfortunately they're under yeah, uh, very boring NDAs so yeah. um, I mean the best way if if you are interested in sort of keeping up with my stuff and what's coming out next is to follow me on Instagram and that's at Bertie Gregory all one word
2: awesome I should go and do that lovely chatting with you have a wonderful rest of your day I hope you manage to get out and about again fairly soon thanks
0: very much have a good